Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Shorter version of the gospel this morning. The longer version is what you hear Christmas Eve. All the names, so-and-so, begot so-and-so. I haven't had enough coffee yet to do that gospel for you this morning. So I did the shorter version. So today we have the feast of Mary's birthday, the nativity of our blessed queen and mother. She who is the Ark of the New Covenant. The Ark of the New Covenant. If that title sounds a little bit odd, then perhaps we might need to be reminded a little bit of some biblical principles of interpretation especially the concept of typology. If you've never heard the word typology, it's, it's at the heart of how the church fathers and how the church from the beginning has read the scriptures. This whole concept that people, places, events, figures in the Old Testament prefigure people, places, events, experiences, realities in the New Testament. The old prefigures the new and the new fulfills the old, right? So there's a lot of these examples, but in particular... Why is this the case? Because it's God's, it's God's pedagogy. It's how the Lord was progressively training his people to get a vision of what salvation would be. Um, I, I, have, I have a pretty wonky eye disease. I have to go to the eye doctor pretty often. And, uh, you know, I sit in front of that big thing, right, where they put those things, they kind of do the lenses, and they're dialing in the prescription, trying to figure out what your eyes need. It's, it's in some ways kind of like that, that from a distance the Lord is giving us these images, these realities that are becoming clearer and clearer as we come closer and closer to salvation. So he gives the Israelites icons of what salvation is going to look like. So for example, the one that <clears throat> is most pertinent for us today for Mary's feast day is the Ark. She is the Ark of the New Covenant. Well, what was the Ark of the Old Covenant? It was the box. It was the container specifically designed by God, his specifications, for the express purpose of housing, holding, right, the Ten Commandments, the law inscribed in stone, was one of the things that went inside the ark, as well as the, uh, a, a jar that contained a sample of the miraculous manna bread that came down from heaven to feed the Israelites every day in their desert wandering, and lastly, Aaron his priestly staff. So you had the law inscribed in stone, you had the manna come down from heaven, you had the priestly staff. And it was gilded, it was covered with angels, it was untouched by man, and it was a sign of God's dwelling on earth. It was the sign of God's dwelling on earth. It was the centerpiece of Israelite worship. It was in the center of the tent. It was the center of the Holy of Holies. Okay, that's the Ark of the Old Covenant. Who is Mary? The Ark of the New Covenant. She who is the vessel, specifically designed and set apart by God, gilded not in gold, but virtue and beauty and radiance. She's immaculately preserved from the stain of original sin, in whose womb was housed not the word made stone, but the word made flesh, whose immaculate womb is the heavenly oven baking the bread come down from heaven, not the manna bread, but Jesus who said of himself, I am the bread come down from heaven. And he who's not just a sign of the high priesthood, but he is the high priest himself in her womb, right? She's containing all of these things. Here's what I find so interesting and puzzling and fascinating. So I was 
in my Bible yesterday in the book of Exodus, looking at the Ark of the Old Covenant and the tent, the tabernacle, all of that stuff, it's so intriguing that if you read Exodus, you'll find that from chapter 25 until basically the very end of the book of Exodus, which is another 15 chapters, and those chapters in the book of Exodus aren't little, little pair, I mean, they are pages of chapters. So you have tons of material from chapter 25 to chapter 40. What you see there, you come across these elaborate descriptions, elaborate descriptions of how God wants his dwelling place to be constructed. You hear about who is building what, who's going to handle the materials and prepare them, what should go inside the meeting tent, how big the meeting tent should be, its dimensions and scope and scale, how the bread, the show bread, the bread of the presence should be baked, where it should be placed, what's the table it goes on, all of that, the framework, the size and shape of the altar, what kind of wood the ark should be made out of, right? The shape, the number, the size of the angels, what they're doing with their wings, all of that. You hear things about the design of the lamp, the design and color of the curtains, the design and color of the priest's vestments, including this breastplate that the priest would wear, all of this stuff. It goes on and on and on for 15 chapters. Elaborate descriptions about how God's dwelling place was to be constructed. So you have this elaborate description of the ark and the tent of the meeting, all of this God's dwelling place preceding the temple. Then when we get to the New Testament, the new ark, the fulfillment in Mary, there's no elaborate description about the construction of her who is God's perfect dwelling place. She's just suddenly there. And the angel is kneeling before her, greeting her, hail, full of grace. If we have like the eyes to see though and to press in, This is where the Lord brought me yesterday, just meditating on this. And I'll get to something else in a second about that. But in those three words is contained unspeakable, elaborate preparation, unspeakable, intricate design. She's greeted as a queen by this angel. Not a queen, but like the queen. The queen of heaven and earth. You have heaven represented by this angel, this being who's so far superior to her, so far superior to to all human creatures, you got this heavenly being coming to kneel before her, acknowledging her as his queen. There's a heck of an inversion happening here, and he says, full of grace. That's heaven's nickname. That's heaven's name for Mary, full of grace. Like how Jesus renamed Simon and called him Rock. That's what Kepha, Peter, means. Heaven's nickname for Mary is full of grace. The Greek there is literally she who is continually being filled with grace. It's an ongoing verb. She who is continually being filled with grace. To be continually filled with grace is to overflow to the brim always with every perfection, every beauty, every virtue, every glory, every jewel and ruby the king could bestow upon her. It's to be the culmination of all created perfection. So I've recently come across uh, this book. It's called The Mystical City of God. I don't know if any of you have heard about it, but it's by Venerable Mary of Agreda. She's a um, 17th century mystic who Mary came to her and said, I'd like you to be my secretary. And I'd like to tell you everything. 
Now, I find stuff like that highly intriguing, right? I'd like to tell you everything, the deep history of creation. I want to tell you about the angels. I want to tell you about Lucifer and the fall, the rebellion of the demons. I want to tell you about, like, God dreaming me into being, my conception, my birth, everything. It is unbelievable. Again, with this whole image of the Old Testament ark and the tabernacle, the tent, all of that in mind, the elaborate preparations that God had for building the Old Testament ark. Listen to this. This is what the scriptures could barely describe. Mary herself comes to this nun and explains. And I find it so beautiful, and I want to share it with you. The divine wisdom had now prepared all things for drawing forth the spotless image of the mother of grace from the corruption of nature. The number and congregation of ancient patriarchs and prophets had been completed and gathered, and the mountains had been raised on which this mystical city of God was to be built. That's who she is. She is the mystical city of God. By the power of his right hand, he had already selected incomparable treasures of the divinity to enrich and endow her. A thousand angels were equipped for her guard and custody that they might serve as most faithful vassals of their queen and lady. He had provided a noble and kingly ancestry from whom she should descend and had selected for her most holy and perfect parents than whom none holier or more perfect could be found in the world. For there is no doubt that if better and more apt parents existed, the Almighty would have selected them for her, who was to be chosen by God as his mother. Never did the body of the Most Holy Mary suffer from the taint of corruption, nor was there anything wanting or anything excessive found in it. On the Saturday following, the Almighty created the soul of his mother, and infused it into the body, and thus entered into the world that pure creature, most holy, perfect and agreeable to his eyes than all those he had created, or will create to the end of the world, or through the eternities. God maintained a mysterious correspondence in the execution of this work with that of creating all the rest of the world in seven days, as is related in the book of Genesis. Then, no doubt, he rested in truth, according to the figurative language of the scripture, since he had now created the most perfect creature of all, giving through it a beginning to the work of the divine word and to the redemption of the human race. Thus was this day a paschal feast for God and also for all creatures. As you keep reading, you get to the birth of this woman which is one of those things that's unspeakably beautiful. This is what Mary reveals to this nun. She, meaning herself, was born pure and stainless, beautiful and full of grace. There's the name again. Thereby demonstrating that she was free from the law and the tribute of sin. Although she was born substantially like other daughters of Adam, yet her birth was, was accompanied by such circumstances and conditions of grace that it was the most wonderful and miraculous birth in all creation and will eternally redound to the praise of her maker. At 12 o'clock in the night, this divine luminary issued forth, dividing the night of the ancient law and its pristine darkness from the new day of grace, which now was about to break into dawn. She was clothed, handled, and dressed like other infants, 
though her soul dwelt in the divinity, and she was treated as an infant, though she excelled all mortals and even all the angels in wisdom. Her mother did not allow her to be touched by other hands than her own, but she herself wrapped her in swaddling clothes, and in this St. Anne was not hindered by her present state of childbirth. For she was free from the toils and labors which other mothers usually endure in their circumstances. So then St. Anne received her, received in her arms her, who was her daughter, but at the same time the most exquisite treasure of all the universe, inferior only to God and superior to all other creatures. Reading those 15 chapters of Exodus and looking at the elaborate description of how God wanted his dwelling place, reading that, it's like, that makes sense. If she is who we believe she is, how could it not be thus? Amen.